Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So here we are on Christmas Eve, a special night, a holy night. Um, our church has done a great job making sure we have infants and babies with us tonight, which is fantastic. Um, the presents are wrapped. You've been to the grocery store. You've sent all of the Christmas cards, or at least posted a picture to social media that you intended to send the Christmas cards. And we are gathered here in this borrowed sanctuary to hear again the message of the angels, a story that many of us know inside and out, a message that comes through this whole service, not just the sermon. The songs, the readings, the liturgy, everything we do uh, points to the message of the angels, points to the light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ shining forth from a humble crib. When people think of Christmas, they think of light, light shining in the darkness, the star above the manger, holiday lights on homes and around trees. We know instinctively that there is a dynamic relationship between light and darkness. In fact, the darker the darkness, the more striking, the more piercing is the light. And tonight our goal is to invite the light of Jesus to drive out the darkness, to scatter the darkness within us and out there in our world, to marvel and worship together at God's great plan of salvation and deliverance through this small flicker of light, this infant child, to receive that light and ask the Lord to shine forth in and through us for the sake of the world. And on a night like Christmas Eve, we're asked the question, what will we do with this great gift that has been sent to us? Isaiah the prophet makes it very clear, this is not a random birth. There is a purposeful direction for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. What will we do with this gift? What will we do with this one who has been sent to us? Uh, we've been waiting and walking through the season of Advent, uh, preparing for this day, um, this night, this beautiful season together, and now the waiting is over. Those who walked in darkness are bathed in glorious light. God extends his favor and peace to people who have done nothing to deserve it through this holy infant child. We remind ourselves, we almost pinch ourselves to hear this good news of great joy for us, for you and for me. We heard from Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so I want to look at a passage from Isaiah 9 quickly and a little bit of Luke 2 quickly tonight as we meditate on the incarnation of our Lord. And first as Isaiah tells us that we will be dazzled by a great light, this prophet of, uh, of the Old Testament. And so much of what we would know now as the Christmas story is foretold by Isaiah. Um, it's remarkable to realize that everything we celebrate is fulfillment. It was foretold and God did it exactly the way he intended and exactly the time frame 
that he intended it. Um, there was a, a church father named St. Jerome. You might know Jerome. He translated the Latin Vulgate, and he lived about the 4th, 5th century. He lived in Bethlehem. So he was very familiar with the Christmas story. Um, in Bethlehem, for the most part, it's Christmas all year round because that's where the Lord was born. And he wrote that Isaiah should be called an evangelist rather than a prophet because he describes all the mysteries of Christ and the church so clearly. One would think he was composing a history of what had already happened rather than prophesying what is to come. <coughs> it's remarkable to think that centuries before the birth of Jesus, in a time of immense darkness, this prophet Isaiah held out the hope of light, a light that would come and bring joy, would bring deliverance, would bring salvation for a people mired in darkness. I really like Isaiah because Isaiah is both honest and hopeful. He's very honest with the depth of the darkness. He doesn't paper it over. He doesn't play pretend or escape from the reality of what he sees, but he's also full of hope. He has this hope that God can and will do something about it. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, Isaiah paints this vision of growth, of flourishing, of freedom, and of peace. Not a temporary truce, but a lasting peace, wholeness, reconciliation, restoration uh, with God, with one another, even with ourselves. A peace, a shalom that flows from the Prince of Peace, one of the many names that Isaiah gives to the promised Messiah, this child that would be born, this baby who is also a gift. And Isaiah gives us a few tantalizing ideas. We'll come back to these in just a moment uh, about what will rest on the shoulders of this promised infant and the result of his work, this eternal peace and justice and righteousness. Um, Isaiah tells us that this kind of salvation can only be accomplished by God. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not you, not me. This has to be done for us by the Lord. And here's the, the names that he gives to this remarkable child. Um, and I'll forgive you if you hum Handel's Messiah to yourself while I read these. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's interesting. Uh, at times, these are taken as four different names of God. Um, there's also a tradition in the church that sees this as eight different names. The one who is named Wonderful the one who is named Counselor, the one who is Mighty, the one who is God, the one who is Everlasting, the one who is Father, the one who is Prince, the one who is Peace, ultimately. And just a little bit before this in Isaiah 7, two chapters ago, he told us this about this child. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, one more name of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. It is very clear that Isaiah uh, was not talking about an ordinary baby at all. I mean, this is a son who is a father. This is an infant human who is somehow God, and not just God, but God with us, God for us. 
Uh, St. Augustine, uh, again, about 1,500 years ago, said, we read, a child is born to us because we see in him the nature of a servant, which he had because the virgin conceived and brought forth a son. However, because it was the word of God who became flesh in order to dwell among us, and because he remains what he was, that is really God hidden in the flesh, we use the words of the angel Gabriel and call his name Emmanuel. He is properly called God with us to avoid thinking of God as one person and the humanity in Christ as another. In other words, this one that we worship, the Lord Jesus, is fully God and fully man. Able to save because he is God and able to save us because he is human like you and like me. So that's the great light that comes from above. Uh, but we're also, we take delight in his great work of salvation. Let's look, just look for a moment at the Gospel of Luke. Because the prophet Isaiah, he, he paints this incredible picture of redemption and hope, but it's still blurry. I mean, it's great to know that God will save. And it's great to know that Jesus will be all of these things. But how? How will he do this? How will his plan of redemption come to you and to me? That's what we find as we turn to the Christmas story in the four Gospels. Um, and by the way, we don't just stay in the Gospel. We read all the way through uh, the Gospels to see uh, who Jesus is and what all he has done. But we can be in the Gospels tonight at the beginning of the story, at the Christmas story. Bishop N.T. Wright, whom many of you know, uh, has had such an impact on my life and ministry. Um, if you are shopping the after Christmas sales at Barnes & Noble and you are in the religion section looking for something to read, uh, pick up something by N.T. Wright. It's in the religion section and it'll be, much, uh, it'll be money well spent compared to some of the other options in that section uh, at Barnes & Noble. Uh, but here's what Bishop Wright says. says, Christmas is not about the living God coming to tell us everything's all right. It is about God shining his clear, bright torch into the darkness of our world, our lives, our hearts, our imaginations, and the darkness not comprehending it. It's about God, God as a little child, speaking words of truth and nobody knowing what he's talking about, being completely confused by the wisdom from on high that has come down. And so there are four different gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. Um, they tell of his life, his ministry, um, the importance of his death and resurrection, the impact of his time among us. Um, each one of those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have their own energy, their own emphasis. They're wanting to make specific points. Um, for example, the gospel of John. Uh, the gospel of John looks at the story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, from the perspective of heaven's throne room. John wants to make sure we realize that the crying infant in the makeshift crib was divinity in diapers. And so he tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We believe that in the person of Jesus Christ, divinity in diapers, that God came among us, fully divine, fully human, for us and for our salvation. 
Luke, our gospel tonight, takes a more um, documentary view of the Christmas story. He wants to tell us the good news of great joy, to show us the the nitty-gritty details of what happens in this tale that we know so well. Um, And that's helpful, too, to get up close, to ponder each nuance, each moment, to see something new in the story um, once again. Because it's so tempting. We've heard this so many times that we can just zone out. We can just wait for the fruitcake, <laughs> the eggnog, whatever is on your agenda for tonight. And um, we can write all of this off as a Christmas card, uh, a Hallmark movie. And to an extent, I, I get that. Uh, sometimes God seems like jolly old St. Nick, grandfatherly, distant only showing up a few times a year, showing up once a year. And that system of St. Nick seems pretty fair. If you're good, you get goodies. If you're bad, well, you get what you deserve. You get coal. And I would say if that is your image of God, then how you think about God is God is someone who keeps a list, checks it twice, gives you what you deserve. That's not what we see in Luke. That's not what we see in the gospel story. In fact, it's the reverse. Uh, What we see in Luke 2 is that this baby and the message of the angels comes to the least and the lost and the lonely. It comes to these shepherds out in the field. It comes to this frightened young mother. It comes to weary travelers under a Roman boot. And yet here in Luke 2, everything shifts. The world tilts on its axis. Uh, The timeline that we know is divided, B.C., A.D. That's how impactful this moment is because God will enter his creation. God will enter his story that he has been writing to redeem it and to make it correct. Remember, the Christmas angel here in Luke 2, what he said, and this is the little bit Linus Uh, from Charlie Brown Christmas. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That baby in a manger. Prophesied long ago by Isaiah the Christmas prophet is the sign confirming the glorious message of the angels that the long-awaited Savior had finally been born, had finally come, would finally come and make things new. And that baby in the manger is the sign amongst all of these signs. I mean, think about it. The virgin's a sign. The star is a sign. The the manger um, looks like a burial trough. It's a sign. The swaddling clothes, like the shroud, of one boy, so many signs, but they all highlight the baby. That's the point. That's what we're to focus on in this season and in this story. And you might say, great, but you haven't answered how. I mean, how does a baby, <laughs> infant, how, how does a vulnerable child, I mean, we, we have many little infants here with us tonight. We're not giving them a job description. 
Uh, they don't have something that they're doing. To, no, they're just simply there. Um, and when they need us, they cry. It's remarkable. The word, the very one that John calls the word was wordless and cried because he was hungry and in need and vulnerable. Um, and it's fascinating to think, well, how would that baby do everything Isaiah had talked about? How would he do all of this? And uh, there's one little thing I want to point out from Isaiah's prophecy, um, just as we're about to close, and it's a fascinating little note he, he has. Isaiah 9 says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Uh, you might have read that and just kept going because we got to Handel's Messiah and sang his names. But that line, the government shall be upon his shoulder um, from the earliest days of the Christian faith has been seen as a prophecy about his death. Because if you know the rest of the story, this baby grows up. And eventually we see this snapshot of him walking pretty close to Bethlehem in, Jer in Jerusalem, about six, seven miles away, and he has wood upon his shoulder going to the cross. Um, he's put there, and wood, the government, is literally upon um, his shoulder. It's fascinating. Um, Tertullian asked, uh, and he's a third century guy, um, and I bring this up just so that you know, um, we're not making this stuff up yesterday. Uh, almost everything we're saying tonight has 1,500 plus years of history. Uh, people who have tried out this faith, who have lived for it, who have died for it, intricate theology that has been worked out. So this is Tertullian, again, about 1,700 years ago. Here's what he asked. Now, what king is there who bears the sign of his rule upon his shoulder? Usually, if you see a king, well, what's, how do you know it's a king? Well, he has a crown on his head, or he has a diadem in his hand. Tertullian says this one has his sign on his shoulder. And what could that be except the one new king of the new ages, Jesus carrying on his shoulder both the power and excellence of his new glory, even his cross, so that according to our former prophecy, he might thenceforth reign from the tree as Lord. And the image of the infant baby swaddled and placed in the manger, we have hints of his death and eventual resurrection because this baby did not remain a child. We don't simply worship and adore him as a baby but as our crucified and risen Lord, the one who was born and lived and loved and ministered and died and was raised for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. We believe that this Jesus ascended, went back to the right hand of the Father, sent his church the immense gift of the Holy Spirit. And even tonight as we celebrate his coming as an infant, we also wait for him to return just as he said he would. But for now, we draw near to Bethlehem. We draw near like the shepherds, like the wise men who would come to worship Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. God issues an invitation. Come, be part of the good shepherd's flock. Indeed, one of the great mysteries is that God came to this lowly city, to these lowly people, and what an encouragement that he will come also to you and to me, whatever the state of our hearts tonight. Charles Spurgeon, who was a Baptist minister in London, 
he would go around asking people, have you a Bethlehem in your heart? Have you made space to welcome the Lord Jesus? Um, Corrie ten Boom, who was a Dutch Christian, uh, she lived during World War II and sheltered hundreds of Jews during the German occupation of her country in World War II. Put it even more sharply, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. Have you prepared a place and welcomed in the Lord Jesus? If not, then you have this great and final preparation to make before you can enter into the joy of Christmas, into the safety, the security, the peace that Jesus offers as a gift freely given. And if you've welcomed this Lord, are you ready? In the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the darkness, have you quieted yourself to meekly and humbly encounter the Lord again this Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas here on Christmas Eve? What do you still need to do? What last preparations do you still need to make? All the stores are closed, but everything you still need to do, you can do tonight. And we'll do in the remainder of our service this evening. Right, would you pray with me as I close? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings dwell. O come to us. Abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great, great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.